You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. Fixate on one word to blame things so absurd. When these attacks arise, you must realize woke gets to these guys. The right hates having to share or making things more fair so they demonize attempts to equalize woke gets to these guys So when banks fail or after trains derail, it's woke right-wing pundits start to yell. Of change they're frightened, but inclusive and enlightened are words, I guess, they just can't spell. For Pete's sake, woke just means awake. To injustice, we must shake. They won't empathize with groups they ostracize, so they polarize. Disguise the hate 
behind their lies. Woke gets to these guys. You gotta love Lauren Don't Mayer. Don't stop the video. Just one more oh, quick thing. Okay. I promise I'll okay. be fast. Okay. If you enjoy these weekly videos, I hope you'll consider supporting them so I can keep them going. You can do that for as little as $2 a month and you get fun rewards. Check out my Patreon link and other support options in the description below and I promise I'll keep helping you laugh at news that might otherwise make you cry. Thanks. And that is Lauren Mayer. And she is at patreon.com slash Lauren Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R. For those of you listening to an audio stream and not seeing the video, uh, Lauren's smart to get that pitch in at the end. Uh, so uh, we play it because we enjoy her songs. Um, woke gets to these guys. <laughs> She's She is so good. I'm glad you guys enjoy her too. Uh, Lauren Mayer kicking off our Friday. She puts out one of these songs each week. That's prolific. All right. So it is Friday. Uh, thank God. And we have a we have an interesting show for you today. I know the minute I got in the chat room, somebody uh, commented on the show card. You know, each day I put up a graphic to go along with the show. And today's for today's I pulled out that iconic poster that anybody who's about my age recommend uh, rec- recommends remembers it's a good thing it's Friday. Remembers, it's the old, uh, this thing was everywhere back in the 60s and 70s. It's a uh, yellow poster with a flower, such as it is, drawn on there. And in, you know, kids' handwriting, it says, war is not healthy for children and other living things. Um, again, that was iconic. It was everywhere. And... The reason I pulled out that image for today's show card is because our guest today was um, a draft resistor. He was drafted, as were just about everybody who fought in Vietnam, and um, he was part of the resistance. And they are the reason that, I think, the war ended finally, and the draft ended. Now, you know that there are those who, you know, anti-war types who think we should bring back the draft, that that would be um, uh, the way to dissuade us from war. Because, you know, when we were in Afghanistan, for example, the people who wound up fighting were were the people who um were were economically challenged for the most part i mean well off kids from well off families didn't really enlist to go to afghanistan or iraq think about it um the draft though it, it, it was not discriminatory in that matter so Anyway, um, I, I, I'm I'm sort of gumming up the works here. But Bob Zog, uh, and I'll get his actual pronunciation of his name, will be here um, because he. There was a reunion of sorts of the resistors, um, and Bob has been doing interesting work all these years. What he does is he goes and speaks with with schools with kids. There was a um, there's a movie that he's going to tell us about a film called uh I do I have my notes here somewhere. Hold on, I don't want to get it wrong. Um 
Uh, the movie is called. Uh, now I can't find it. Um, hold on. Sorry, you can tell it is. It is Friday. Um, it's the boys who said no. I believe is what it was called, and it was about the the resistors. You know that many of them were labeled conscientious objectors. But others were called draft dodgers or draft evaders. Well, he, you know, he he did it all. He would have, he wouldn't have passed the physical had he gone along with their, you know, with with the 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 program as it was supposed to be done. I'm going to let him tell you all this because I'm screwing it up and I'm not I'm not <laughs> doing well. But anyway, the point is. He, he brings this film and, and speaks to young people about it. And what he has found is that the young people do not know the history when it comes to the Vietnam War. Now, we know just in recent days, just watching what's happening here in Florida with the, this guy who is the governor uh, who's trying to erase our history, American history. We know what they're trying to do when it comes to slavery and trying to talk about it like, oh, it was, you know, it was, uh, they, the slaves loved their masters, their owners. They were happy. You know, they're rewriting history. They're also whitewashing it in every sense of the word. So, um, um, well, yeah, Northside Yank said during a draft, the poor are still forced to go to war. That's true, but so are the rich. You know, it's you can't just not go because your family is well off. So uh, anyway, what Bob has learned is that young people today are wholly unaware of the Vietnam War, the consequences of it. And how the resist the resistors fought back against it. So Bob will tell us all about that. Before he joins us, hopefully in a few minutes, there's a couple of other bits of news to tell you about uh, that are going on. And we'll start here in Florida when we talk about, um, you know, the the assault on education. And this assault on public education, I didn't realize it extended to the Vietnam War. I thought it was you know, just very discriminatory. I, 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 Northside Yanks, why are you trying to pick a fight with me? I, I don't understand. He's like, you can be anti-war whether we have a draft or not. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't get your point. And it's really not a good idea to sort of argue with me in the chat room when I'm on the air. I'll just say that, Okay. Just, just, just listen. I'm not, I'm not advocating for bringing back the draft. I'm just saying some people, when we were in the in in the depths of war in Afghanistan and Iraq, and it was only people who, uh, you know, the poor who were going and rich people's kids were being let off the hook. That it was suggested that if we brought back the draft, that might be a way to end the war. Faster, because if rich people's kids were drafted, then the people with all the power, you know, the ones with the money who control the purse strings would find a way to end it. That's all I'm saying. So please don't pick a fight with me in the chat room, especially today. Can you tell I'm tired? All right. I don't want to fight with you.
I'm not. And I don't want to have to not look at the chat. So stop it. Got it? Thank you. Okay. Yes, and now they would legally have to include women if there was a draft. Anyway, we're going to talk with one of the draft resistors, somebody who, well, he's going to tell you his story. In the meantime, I didn't realize they were whitewashing the history of the Vietnam War, too, but they're whitewashing everything. And today, I told you, the Florida legislature is in session. And today, um, the Florida House gave its final approval to a bill that creates universal vouchers paid for with tax dollars that any parent in Florida can use for their kids to send them to private school. So it's bad enough that, that uh, oh, David, David, you weren't here yesterday. David N. in the chat room is posting the Randy Rainbow video. We played it yesterday. Just saying. I, I need to not look at the at the chat. Okay, so the state of Florida is rushing through, pushing through the legislature, a a um, school choice on steroids. So it's be, it's not bad enough, I guess, for these people that they are destroying our public education system. And remember that all these changes that death sentence is making to our school system apply only. Only to public schools. So while he's saying teachers who spend an inordinate amount of money on their education, many of them continuing to get master's degrees while they are paid less than the the manager at your local McDonald's and get less respect as well, um, are being dissed. You see, uh, a teacher makes an informed decision on, say, what books to put in their classroom library, right? Teachers are trained to know what is age-appropriate and what is appropriate materials for the children they are teaching. They are educated in that matter to make those decisions. They know what books are appropriate for kids of whatever age group they're teaching, But the state of Florida has decided that if one parent, one Bible-thumping parent says, I don't think that book is appropriate for our children to read, that that book will be pulled from the shelves until representatives from the Florida Board of Education, I guess, decide whether or not they, they approve that book. They have no educational um, uh, background. They're not, they don't have a master's degree that has schooled them in what is age appropriate reading material for those kids. But this is the power that uh, moron death sentence is giving to parents and to even people who don't even have children in the schools anymore. You as a citizen can say, that book is inappropriate for our kids and they will pull it off the shelves. And if a teacher puts a book on the shelves in his classroom library that has not gotten approval from the state, they can be charged with a felony you hear me? A felony. So it's under this uh, authoritarian type of system that we're now apparently living under, at least here in Florida, that I learn 
that kids are, um, you know, not learning about even recent history. We know they're whitewashing slavery. We know, look, there was a thing today. Um, I saw, what's her name, Alex Wagner last night uh, on, on MSNBC doing a story, uh, again, here in Florida, about Rosa Parks and how the state is, is again, whitewashing. There's not another word I can use. Our history to present, to, to not run afoul of the new restrictions that DeSantis is putting on our education. Um, so th- there's uh, materials about Rosa Parks. And the original version, was is the truth, you know, talked about she refused to give up her bus to a white, per- her seat on the bus to a white person. Because blacks back then were told that they had to sit in the back of the bus. The revision, the first revision, um, just said she refused to um, to give up her seat to uh, to a, a a white person, and then the third, the final revision made no mention of race at all. This is how they're whitewashing things, and the reason I bring this up today is well, what I just told you: the Florida House gave final approval today to a bill creating universal vouchers that will be paid for with tax dollars that any parent in Florida can use to send their kid to a private school. And guess what? The private schools do not fall under these uh the 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 legislation or 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 death sentences rules. A private school can put whatever they want in on the shelves in their classroom library. A public school can't. Just saying, it is opposite world. In every sense, it's opposite world. And when I read this, so after two hours of debate, the House voted 83 to 27 for this voucher bill. So they're destroying public education here in Florida on every level. Because once you pull the funding from the public schools to let parents decide where they're going to spend, where they're going to send their child, there will not be enough funding for the public schools here in Florida. But you know what? It's not worth it at this point because of the way they are fucking up our history. They are not teaching us or our children what really happened. And we had this discussion earlier in this week when I said if you're not if you're not being taught history, then you are not protecting us against history repeating itself because, you know, the bad shit seems to happen over and over again. And so um, uh, you can only learn from your mistakes if you're taught what those mistakes were. So with that as the backdrop, I get an email from a listener, from somebody who's who's uh, uh, been a friend of the show for a long time. Um, and uh, basically what he... what um, what I'm told by this person who you're going to meet in a moment is that, and sorry, I'm trying to do um, chew and uh, chew gum and walk at the same time. I'm trying to bring up uh, his shot. So once I get this done, I'll bring him in. Um, but our our friend Bob here was a draft resistor. Well, he talks to students at schools and he screens this movie for them that I'll tell you about. And what he's found is young people today are not being taught 
even about Vietnam. So you know what? I, I'm I'm having trouble today with the brain synapses connecting. So let me bring in our guest, Bob. Bob hi, Bob. Is it Bob Zaw? How do I pronounce your last name? Oh, Bob Zaw. Bob Zaw. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure I got it right. So Bob Zaw, um, let's start from the beginning. First of all, we haven't spoken in a long time, but some listeners may remember years ago, I got to speak with um, a woman, part of the, the Kurdistan representative to the United States. Bayan, I can't remember her full name, but it was, she was brilliant. And we know about the Kurds and all the the support that they that they gave us um, throughout the years, and Bob, you're the one who set up that interview, didn't you, many years ago? Yes. So thank you for that. That was a brilliant interview, and it was great to be able to talk to her. And I'll tell you, it made when uh, the former guy Trump withdrew from the Syrian. Uh, border there and left our allies, the people who fought by our side and protected our troops for so long, uh, basically just left them to be at the mercy of, uh, of, of, um, of, of, of Syria. Um, it, it, we, we, we abandoned our allies and I had the, because boy, my brain and my mouth are not working together today. And I apologize. Anyway, I felt for them even more so because I got to speak with her a couple of times and that was all due to your work. You are here today because you sent me an email the other day about um, a a reunion of sorts of the resistors of the Vietnam War, right? Of of the resistance uh, movement that started back then. Boy, I apologize. So let me ask you... um, you told me a story about this film that you you were involved in. We're going to get to all of it, and I will shut up and let you talk because I'm not doing a very good job of it today. Um, but you found that kids today, that young people today, do not know our history, even our recent history of what happened with Vietnam and how people like you who resisted the draft helped end it. Um, what, what, did, how did, what happened here? What did you find out? Well, what what prompted me to uh, start speaking to college students was the fact that we were making this film, The Boys Who Said No, and we were just about done with it. I wasn't making it. I wasn't directing. I was in it, and I helped bring people into it. Anyway, um, Ken Burns came out with his 18-hour documentary on Vietnam. My feeling was, at last, our story is going to be told. And I sat down and I watched 18 hours. And our story wasn't in there at all. They never mentioned draft resistance. Actor David Clennon came to one of our events, and I was asking, I wonder why that is. He said, well, it's right there on the screen when the movie opens. It says, funded by Bank of America and David Koch. Oh. Oh. Now, that doesn't mean that they censored Ken Burns. I think you see the money hanging out of their pockets, and you censor yourself. Anyway, I thought I'd fallen asleep, so I watched the entire 18 hours again, and I hadn't fallen asleep. It was not in there. So I I called up a local university and said, I want to come speak in your class. And I never spoke in public. And uh, they said, yeah, you can come in there. There won't be many students. So I don't care if there's one. And so it was a class of 20. First question I asked was, "How how many of you are aware of the war in Vietnam. 
one hand went up. Where, I, where was this? What school was this at? It was in LMU in Los Angeles. Oh, my God. And only one person in a class of 20 was even one aware person. of the Vietnam War? Right. And uh, and it shocked me and it shocked the professor. I've asked it every time I've spoken, wherever I speak, and there's never been more than two hands that go up. Usually one, never more than two, ever. And they don't know about it. Apparently, the way history is covered now, days is you'll see a, a photo of the students at the lunch counter in North Carolina and maybe a couple paragraphs, and that's it. Wow. That's what you get civil rights movement and that's what you get uh, nothing about vietnam they don't even cover it apparently in in middle school or or senior high school so that's what i learned that's and astounding I, just right there that alone is astounding this is before this current attack on history where they're rewriting and whitewashing everything because you, you know you can't make a kid white kids feel bad that their ancestors owned slaves which is just insane. But now this is recent history that we lived through in different ways. But the kids in college today, many of them don't even know anything about it. That's that's Nothing. that's negligence. That so well, let me let me toss this in there. Okay. I'm from Gardena. That's where I grew up. And that city was one third Japanese American. Uh, you know, I started uh, middle school in uh, 1956. So from seventh grade to 12th grade, I was in a school where one grade above me, all of the Japanese Americans had been born in camp. And it, it, it was never brought up. I didn't even hear about it until I was in college. So that's how we teach history in this country. We were never told once that kids were born in 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 the camp well th not only that i mean i'm a i'm a bit younger than you i was never taught in school that we interred japanese Amer japanese americans um after world war ii i learned about that many many years after i got at finished school after i was out in the world i did not know because we don't teach our kids yes and that the thing is <laughs> My friends were born in those camps. In fact, at the end of Ken Burns' film, the last couple episodes, one of the key figures is Vince Okamoto, who was uh, he ended up being a judge, and he was in the Phoenix Project in Vietnam, and he was the most decorated Japanese-American soldier since World War II. He was one grade ahead of me. He was born in a camp. Never knew it. He was wow. the most popular guy in school. We never knew it. Wow. And we didn't know that, that the, it probably didn't know there were camps. Absolutely. We didn't, we didn't, incredible. We didn't know. Just incredible. Oh. Well, I, I want to I want to play the trailer to this film. But before I play it, I want you to tell us about it. The boys who said no, as you said, you you, you didn't make it. You worked, helped with the pro production of it, booking guests and getting it out there. And now you show it when you go speak at schools, when you speak to kids about the Vietnam War. Um, but this is the story of the draft resistance of which you were a part. Again, yes. a, a really important part when you tell the story of the Vietnam War. And we're not hearing about uh, you and your your brothers in fighting against the arms here. So this is the trailer for the film. 
Let's take a look at it. We are going to win. We are fighting a war. I'm convinced that it is one of the most unjust wars that has ever been fought in the history of the world. The war they were asking us to fight bore no resemblance to what I thought Americans were supposed to do. My conscience won't let me go shoot my brother, a big, powerful America, and shoot them for what? They never called me nigger. We have chosen to be powerless criminals in a time of criminal power. Evil is a participatory phenomenon, and it counts on participation in order to be successful. And the first option you have is withdrawing your participation. And from there, it's all liberation, whatever the cost. There's something happening here. In less than two years, 1,400 young men have been convicted of violating the Selective Service Act. The census had tended to be two and a half years, and he gave me three. These are our cards. You have our names. Joe Stewart, New York. Come arrest us. We ourselves actually could take the step that would bring this war to an end by refusing to go, just refusing to cooperate. I made the decision to return my draft card. There it went. Any moment, I'll be hauled off to prison. And if you want to put me in jail, then you go ahead and put me in jail. And that, of course, is what they did. Hell no, we won't go. The most encouraging thing is when a young man says no to Uncle Sam and, and we'll take the jail sentence. Did you have any final things to say to David before they took him away that you can yeah, tell us? Yeah, I love you. We must continue to follow the dictates of our conscience, even if that means breaking unjust laws. This was really a both individual act and a group act. Most people can let themselves be heard. They can stop being silent. Over 500,000 young men followed their example and refused to be drafted. It was the largest refusal to fight a war in American history. Learn more and support the film, boyswhosaidno.com. Again, we're uh, with Bob Zaw. And Bob, you are one of those boys who said no. You were, you got a draft. You had a draft card. You got, your number got picked. For those who don't know, because apparently a lot don't, how did the draft work? The draft worked by, uh, they, they had manpower channeling where they tried to sort of get you to do certain things. You could have a deferment, a school deferment. It was called a 2S. You could have, uh, uh, they were starting to lose control of the draft. If you ha- took a physical and flunked it during World War II or the Korean War, you'd get a 4F. It meant you were done with the draft. They had no effect over you in the future. So they created a new deferment, 
one Y. You flunked a physical, but you had to come back every six months and, and take another physical. And it kept you in the maze that they had set up. Then they gave deferments for certain kinds of studies. So, and then they had conscious conscientious objector status, which was for people who were opposed to war. However, all of those things are part of the draft. And what David Harris said in that first statement is evil is a participatory phenomenon. And your first op option is to withdraw your participation. So he was pointing out, don't accept any, any deferments. And, you know, I turned in my 2S uh, because in part it was a, an act of anti-racism because the black people were being sent to Vietnam. Mm. And, and when they come back, they couldn't vote in the South, et cetera. So I turned that in and, you know, that's a felony. And, you know, it proceeded from there. I took a physical and I flunked it. So I got the one Y. So I'm never qualified for the draft. I turned in the one Y, which is a felony. And then they they called, they made me a 1A. They called me for another physical. I publicly refused. That's a felony. Then they ordered me for induction. I publicly refused. That's a felony. And they went after all those people who did that one by one. So we wouldn't accept a CO or any type of deferment. And then most of us would go to court without an attorney and defend ourselves, which was a big deal for me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't raise my hand in college to participate in a class discussion. And now I'm going to defend myself in court. And, and you did, you, you sent along the transcript of your trial where, you know, the, the whole first part of it was the judge basically trying to say, are you sure you want to do this? You're, you want to represent yourself? Does he understand? And like, yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm doing this. So you went through the whole thing. Um, and you represented yourself. And the the bottom line is, though, you you would have failed. You failed the physical anyway, but you were not participating in the steps that they prescribed. You're like, I'm not taking part in this farce. I'm resisting. This is, you know, it's so funny because we were the resistance, right? When the, when uh, the former guy took office, we resisted. Well, people that we're part of this resistance, don't know where it came from. And this is what, what you guys were doing. And the whole story of what you did, resisting the draft, saying, no, we're not playing this game, um, it seems to be erased from from the history books. It's not being taught, and young people are not learning it. One, one thing you did leave out, though, when I asked about how the lottery worked, uh, the, the, the draft worked, I want you to talk about the lottery because young people don't understand that. Everybody got a number, right? And the numbers were drawn, and that's what determined where in line you were to be drafted? Yes. You know, they there were so many complaints about the draft, they finally decided, well, let's make it fair. Let's just, you know, get a big, you know, one of those things and draw out the ping pong balls. I think it was a very highly watched television show. Oh, so if you had the the number in the you know first third of the 365 possibilities, chances are you were going to get drafted. And if you didn't, you were you were out. But this was in part because of what we had done. 
we wouldn't cooperate. And people that uh, weren't eligible for the draft, people who are older or women, they found their ways to participate in this, which was to sign complicity statements. Everybody put themselves in front of the government saying, we, re we support what these guys are doing. Now, if you and I, you know, walk across the street, you know, jaywalk together, you know, that's a misdemeanor. But if you and I get together in advance and we discuss talking about jaywalking, that's a felony. That's uh -huh. conspiracy that is breathing together. And that's what the government is most afraid of. So people that weren't eligible, they signed complicity statements. And so they went after Dr. Spock. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Spock, not Mr. Spock. Dr. Spock was a famous uh, pediatrician. He was America's baby doctor. And all the new moms looked to him. And I get, he was an anti-war activist. I was not aware. Yes, yes, he was. Good. Yeah, he was indicted and uh, went to court. And he, uh, he they won. <laughs> they won. Wow. So people would sign complicity statements. They would take out ads in the L.A. Times and other papers saying, we support these guys and that's a felony. So people pulled away and challenged the government. And there were so many of us, they couldn't handle it. I would go down to the the federal building every Wednesday morning and collect the indictment lists at 10 a.m. every Wednesday uh, so I could see who had been indicted so that we could warn them that the FBI was coming after them. And it turned out that it was over a third, it was like 35% of the indictments handed out through, through the grand juries were for refusing induction or ignoring your induction or not showing up for induction. It was out of control. It was even higher in, in Berkeley. Wow. Now, you mentioned that, you know, you could be get designated as a conscientious objector. But you're saying you said that's a legal deferment. That's not what you did. And in fact, you you said you didn't want that designation. I, I didn't apply for it. And the way when I was convicted of refusing to take a physical, he was looking for a way out on convicting me of refusing induction, even though I admitted right up front that I did I did both these things. Now here's why. And uh, so he found a way to get me off on that, which I didn't agree with. And he convicted me of refusing to take a physical. They had a, a gentleman's agreement among the judges in L.A. to sentence you to three years. And so he didn't if you were convicted of refusing induction, but they didn't have that for refusing to take a physical. So basically he ordered me to work in the national interest, which is the same thing that COs would do work in the net, go to a hospital, work in the hospital. Like public service. Yes. And right. I refused to do so. I said, I work at peace press. We print for Angela Davis, the Communist Party, the ACLU, and the Black Panthers, which was all true. Later on, Daniel Ellsberg. Mm. That's what we do. And uh, that's the national interest as I see it. And that's what I'm going to do. And he never did anything to me. In fact, I took Gary Tyler, the youngest person on death row in America. When he got out of prison, I took him to meet Judge Pragerson. Pragerson is a great guy. 
Oh, so the, that's the judge. Because you did send me uh, uh, about uh, information on another film um, yeah. it, about the Ninth Circuit. Tell us what Circuit. that. T- tell it's me. called Ninth Circuit Cowboy. Uh-huh. The Long Good Fight of Judge Harry Pragerson. And we got that film made. He is a man of integrity, and that's why people should watch it. He is a role model for integrity for all times. And he was my judge. Ah. And he, if you read my transcript, you couldn't be more fair than he was to me. Okay, that's what I was saying. What he was trying to get you to have a lawyer represent you. Uh, uh, that's the whole first part of it. So this film, Ninth Circuit Cowboy, The Long Good Fight of Judge Harry Pregerson, is on Amazon Prime. So if you have that, yes. you, you're able to pull it up and watch it. This isn't about your case. This is about the judge who recently passed away? Well, I'm in it. I'm, uh, I'm the only person in the film who was in his courtroom as a defendant. Gotcha. <clears throat> so I talk about my experience in his trial. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So you wound up not being sentenced to prison as a draft resistor. What, what is that what you call yourself? Right. And but that's what the public still calls us is draft dodgers. Right. Or draft evaders. And so what you fight for changing history and then you have to come back 50 years later to try to claim your place in history because our story which is an effective way to do social change of pulling your participation out of the system is unknown by the current generation. They have more problems than we do. Uh, You know, there's food insecurity in colleges. There's adjunct professors that are teaching at two or three college colleges at the same time to make ends meet because they can't get tenure. And basically they're looking for parking spaces. All the things that they could take part in, uh, they could use our lesson and maybe they could find a way to make a twist on that to apply it to what they're facing. Right. Um, again, we're speaking with Bob Zaw. And and the reason I, I'm, I don't know what prompted you to reach out to me last week when you did. Is it because there was a reunion of sorts among the this group of resistors from the Vietnam War era? What what what? What prompted your email to me in the first place? You know, things are moving so fast. I'm not sure what it was, but <laughs> we, we're showing the film around and some of the places are going to start streaming it for the public. Ah. Like we're going to be showing it at Pitzer College on April 4th, and they're going to set it up so that it will stream for 72 hours and the general public can watch it. So you oh, go to pitzer.edu. Dosh or slash events, and you'll probably be able to watch the film. So various places are doing that because we show it in classrooms. We're going to show it at USC, I think, in two weeks, and uh, they'll they'll show it to their class. And then I'm supposed to be speaking with Ron Kovic, born on the Fourth of sure. July. I've known him for fifty years. Um, uh, he and I are supposed to speak at USC. Great. Uh, the, the film we're talking about is The Boys Who Said No. So it, if someone wanted to just pull it up today and watch it, it, is it not available on any of the streaming services or anything? It's not available. It's We're still trying to work on that. By the way, there is a uh, related film that's going to open next week on PBS. It's going to open on the 28th on PBS. It's called The Movement and the Madman or The Madman and the Movement. It's about the two giant demonstrations 
1969 or so that helped uh, slow down the war. Hmm. So it's uh, sort of tangential to the resistance. <clears throat> and that's on PBS. Okay, we'll look out for it. And yeah, and now to back up a little bit, when we were talking about the Ken, Ken Burns series on Vietnam, what your complaint is that, yeah, he covered the war, but he didn't cover the resistance at all. So you're, the whole group of you who said, we are not participating in this, we was not even mentioned. So basically just erased you from all of that. That's okay. true. And then there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of boat people, uh, people that immigrated from uh, Vietnam. They felt they weren't covered well by the film either. There were a lot of complaints about it. Huh. Interesting. Um, all right. I want to ask about David Harris. Now, we saw in the trailer, we saw him. He's the one with Joan Baez. That was Joan Baez, by the way. He was singing very young Joan Baez. Um, tell you, David, you quote him. David Harris in the film says, quote, evil is a participatory phenomenon. It counts on your participation. Your first option is to withdraw your participation. And that was the guiding philosophy on you not saying, no, I'm not going to have the physical. I'm not playing this game. I know it wasn't a game, but it's uh, you weren't participating. That's what this was all about. Yes. So, yes. And, and he's the most important per person in my life. Hearing him move me from not wanting to apply for another 2S to turning it in, which was a felony. And one of the things we pass out when we uh, speak in schools is we have this resistance uh, newspaper that we created for. <laughs> Pull it the other way. There, the other way. I know it's all oh, backwards. Right? There you go. Up. Oh, yeah. anyway, <laughs> so we did a, a two month exhibition at the, Getty Gallery at Los Angeles Library, and we created an eight-page newsletter, which is like the film The Boys Have Said No on paper. And on the back of the paper we have, it says, for those looking for answers today, here are some lessons I learned. And they're from David Harris. And these apply to whatever you're doing. They were the, were the, the things that he passed on to us in the resistance. And one of them is, we are never isolated. We all have a constituency of friends and family who watch us. That is where politics begins. And we were the constituency of the civil rights movement. David and all these people went down south. Uh, black people from the south went, you know, they went into work on the, the voting movement down there. And so that's where they learned the tactics that they brought back for David to start the resistance. So that's an example of constituency. Another example of constituency is in the film, The Boys Who Said No. You saw the guy hit the back of his neck in the, the uh, trailer there as he was getting ready to turn in his draft card. His name is Randy Keeler. And Daniel Ellsberg, you see, if you watch the whole film, you'll see that he goes to Safford to talk to Randy Keeler because he's so impressed by what he has done. And from that meeting, that's what caused him to do the Pentagon Papers. Wow. wow. And what I've noticed, David talked about the rule of constituency back in the 60s, and I remembered it at the time, and I've seen that it's true. It's been true in my own life, where people will see what I'm doing, and they'll ask if they can do it too, like, 
go to jail at the Nevada test site or the the uh, Diablo Canyon, the nuclear power plant. We were trying to shut that down. If if we can live with integrity and we can follow the rules that you'll see, and this these rules are printed in the New York Times op-ed, June 23, 2017, was David Harris's op-ed letter to the New York Times. So you can read his whole article and these rules that he put in the article. And is, they, that, is that posted somewhere we can pull it up? Well, I think maybe you can just go to the New York Times op-ed 2017. Um, I'll try to find a way to post it. I'll look. New York. So it was from 19, what? I'm sorry, from when? June 23, 2017, New York Times op-ed. Okay. Well, let's see if I can get it. If you follow that, when I talk to students, I try to talk them into getting involved. Uh, in uh, social action, because things start one thing at a time. For Cesar Chavez, one living room at a time. Greta Thunberg sitting by the side of the road, holding up a sign. Now look at her. My friend in Venice, one sandwich at a time. She went down to the boardwalk to feed homeless teens 15 years ago. Now she has this this five-story building being built on Lincoln that will be housing for homeless youth. Really? Wow. It, it, and she has already several other places that exist. It started one sandwich at a time. That's great. You know, I, I pull, I tried to pull it up. I didn't find it, but I, I'll dig deeper when I'm not splitting my attention. What did come up is um, an article from, if I can find the date, uh, February Oh, he just died. Just from February 7th and updated on the 22nd, his obit, David Harris, leader of Vietnam draft resistance movement, dies at 76. So, yes. um, and in fact, in our chat room, one of our regulars, Durbin, said, I, I don't want to get it wrong, uh, his brother-in-law was David's cellmate uh, in prison. And I know many of his cellmates, <laughs> uh, Jeff Fishman, uh, Todd Friend, they're all in the movie. Wow. Durbin, uh, who was your brother-in-law? Tell us. I, I'll see if he posted in the chat room. Um, so that's what he said. But so so David Harris was sort of the leader of this movement. So the people that you're talking about here, these are not the the, the conscientious objectors who went to Canada. This is a different group uh, who stayed and and fought back by not participating. Yeah, all the people in that film, they they uh, defended themselves in court, and most all of them went to prison. I was the only person that I know that was not sent, and that was because Pragerson was a judge who visited all the people he sent to prison. He went and visited them, and so he went to Lompoc Prison to visit a bank robber, and. He saw Mike Schwartz, who was one of my roommates, was in solitary. And he went and visited him and asked him if he wanted to get out or, you know, wanted a writ done. And Schwartz says, no, I'm fine. He was not eating. He was not wearing clothes. He wouldn't shave. He went on a 37-day hunger strike. Oh, boy. Gregerson came back. I think he filed his own writ. And he brought Schwartz into court. Schwartz still wouldn't recognize the court. They had to pick him up by his armpits to stand him up. And then Pragerson, I was there. Pragerson said, you know, we're dismissing your case. And he goes, thank you, judge. He's that. Then he would stand, then he would smile, 
and and then he then he took off. Gregerson did that with another roommate of mine who was also in solitary at Lompoc. He turned Pragerson down. Pragerson visited every prisoner, every person he sent to prison. There is no other judge who did that. Wow. And again, he's the subject of this other film. I'll post both of them on the blog along with today's show. It'll be posted at NicoleSandler.com slash three dash 17 dash 23. I always post it under the date like that. Um, because that film, The Ninth Circuit Cowboy, you can watch on on Amazon Prime. By the way, Durbin says his brother-in-law was Richard Cheney. Richard? C-H-A-N-E-Y, not Dick Cheney, not Cheney, Cheney, C-A- Richard C-H-A-N-E-Y. Uh-huh, okay, I, I don't know. Don't him. know him. Um, uh, Bob, my husband David is here, and he's got something to say. Bob, um... What I want to say is thank you. Um, I'm from the Vietnam generation, and I happen to get lucky, but people like you made my luck. I saw people like you standing up for a principle that the war was not right, and I saw it was not right. I tore my draft card up. Um. I was stupid enough to have lost my tu- some of my tuition money at a, a dog track. And right after that, I got my draft status was reclassified hmm. from 2S to 1A, which, as you know, meant basically I had one foot on the boat. I went to the student health center at the college that I attended, Arizona State, And I saw a doctor who had treated me for colds and things like that. Explained my situation to him. First words out of his mouth were, I was an Army surgeon for 25 years. Both my sons served in the military. It was the best place in the world for a young man. And I'm thinking, okay, am I going to Canada or am I going to Australia? Canada's too cold, so yeah, probably Australia. The next words out of his mouth were, it's no longer the best place in the world for a young man, so... I will do everything I can to keep your father's son out of the military. He wrote a letter to my draft board, and about a month later, I got a notice that they reclassified me 4-H, which meant that if the Vietnamese invaded Long Beach, they might call me up. I liked my odds. Uh, I didn't think the Vietnamese were likely to invade Long Beach, so I felt pretty comfortable after that. Now, let me back up a few steps. You mentioned how highly viewed the broadcast was when they were drawing numbers for the, uh, uh, the lottery. lottery. Yeah, I drew one fifteen, and that's a number I'll never forget. One one five, and that year they said they were taking up to one thirty nine, and as I said, I lost my student deferment. So as I say, I got lucky, but it was because of people like you that my luck held. So I'm very grateful to you, and I think our entire country should be very grateful to you because Vietnam was the wrong war at the wrong time for the wrong reason. So, again. And the fact that kids, young people, I shouldn't call them only kids, don't know what went on is also criminal. This is very recent history. They should be learning about this. Again, the only way we don't repeat our mistakes is when we learn what mistakes we made. And if the, the young people today aren't being taught about this, then we're just bound to, to repeat them. 
that's why I'm out there doing this. By the way, I'd like to mention that the draft resistors, you know, there's this urban myth that people were yelling at at soldiers coming back. They were killers right. and so on. The resistance did not do that. We were we supported people that uh, were in the service. We would go to the airport and bring baked goods to give soldiers coming off the planes. We ran a, uh, a sanctuary. We, we had a guy from the Marines, one from the Army, one from the Navy. They took sanctuary to go AWOL in a Quaker meeting house, and we lived in that meeting house for 30 days. And they got one, picked off one by one. I, they'd go out to get a Pepsi or something. But we were supportive. And we would, uh, when we would counsel people, we had draft counseling, we would give you all of the possibilities to get to get a deferment or, you know, to, to move your draft board to another draft board because you could get a CO. And then at the very end, we would say, here's what we're doing. But we wouldn't push it. We would say, we're resisting, but we wouldn't push it. You know, you mentioned Ron Kovic, and he you saw him recently. Um, and, it, you know, the movie Born on the Fourth of July, which was made from his book um, yeah. that told of his experience, that mm-hmm. was that was already, what, 30 years ago, 40 years ago that he wrote that? I mean, that the movie came out, it was a, a long time ago. And maybe that needs to be re-released because it seems like that's the only way people know. Right now, we're not seeing Vietnam we had Apocalypse Now. We had uh, The Deer Hunter. We had a lot of movies about that era. But this is already, we're going back many years when kids today don't know those movies either. Right? So yes. we, we we need to bring them back and um, hopefully get The Boys Who Said No uh, distributed now so people can see it and learn about this instead of just the the schools you take it to and show it when you talk to a, a small class. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is can there I any- one more, uh, one more of these, uh, uh, rule of constituencies? Things? Please, please. Okay. So in the film, uh, the Pragerson film, one of the people, uh, the mayor spoke, Garcetti, and and the city attorney spoke. And the city attorney is Mike Fewer. And back in those days during the Vietnam War, or actually was much more recently, he ran a, a legal clinic called Bet Zedek. And Pragerson was downtown, and he, he decided to let the homeless sleep inside the federal courthouse, which, of course, didn't fly well with some of the other judges. He found out that a lot of them had minor problems like traffic, parking tickets, and so on. They go to warrant, and there's no way a homeless person can raise the money to get these tickets out of their life. So Pragerson called up Fewer, who was heading this legal clinic. He said, I want you to get your lawyers down here, and I want you to take care of this. A lot of people are being held back by these, these very simple things, you know, little tickets and so on. Clean it up. And so Fewer did that, and he spoke at uh, Pragerson's memorial, and that was in 2017. Now, in 2019, there was a headline in the L.A. Times that said, Los Angeles to forgive 2 million parking tickets. Now, a lot of those tickets were deserved, Mm -hmm. but I knew without even getting the paper that the reason for it was a constituency between Pragerson and Fewer, because Fewer was now the city attorney 
And he, I got the paper, sure enough, Fuhr decided to release these parking tickets as a boon to uh, getting help for the homeless who were suffering from having these petty wow. criminal things on their record. So that's another example of the rule of constituency, which is one of the most important things that I learned from David Harris. It sounds like you learned a lot from David Harris. And, you know, again, the fact that his name is not a household name is a travesty. I mean, I watched the trailer. We saw Martin Luther King, uh, you know, very famously saying, no, I'm not going. And that if if people know anything about the resistance to the Vietnam War, that's what they may know is that, uh, uh, you know, um, Martin Luther King said it was bad, that Muhammad Ali said, I will not fight. Um, those things have cut through, uh, I think, perhaps because um, certain people have propelled it, have have kept those stories going and, and have told them, the black community, thankfully. Um, but the stories of your story, David Harris, the fact that we don't know your names is there shows a real deficit. Um, but we're seeing it all, play out all across the line right now with the attacks on, on education and actual history. Yes. So we need to fix that. Um, you know what? I, the, I, I hate that this film is not widely available. Uh, the, the boys who said no. I'm wondering if maybe we can set up a screening where people would have to register and we could do something. We, we'll, we'll talk off the air and see if there's a way to get. I don't. I. I. I want this to be seen widely. Um, I know you're working on it. Is there anything we can do to help get this released so more people can see it? I don't know. the The educational distributor is Bullfrog Films. So what I did was I bought the rights to show it, and I bought the uh, streaming rights so that I could stream it too. I haven't done that before because I really don't know how to do it, but I think we're doing it at Pitzer. Ah. Uh, USC. Okay. So you could talk to Bullfrog Films. I'm not the producer or director of the film, but I did want to make sure I could show this without infringing on Bullfrog's uh, rights. And the people that made the uh, film that's going to be shown on PBS, the the madman and the movement. Some of them are involved in the boys who said no, and they're going to try to repitch the film to uh, PBS and see if they will show that. And maybe that'll, that'll get done. Good. And now, honestly, with all these streaming services, they're all, you know, hungering for content. I would think this is ready made content for them. I would guess that somebody would want to pick it up, but if you would like to do, you know, an online private screening, we can set that up and I can facilitate it for you. I think it's important enough and maybe we can just set up an event where we can uh, do a day and time and people can register, but uh, I'll email you about that. Yeah, I will, then I will talk to Bullfrog and see how that can be done because I would, I would love that to happen. Okay. You need to see this. Uh, That's a deal. Well, you sent me the link. So I know that my husband, David, is going to want to watch it. I want to watch it. So we'll see it. And then, um, <clears throat> like I said, I, I'm off next week. Um, but So I will email you and we'll see if we can put something together. Um, thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And as David said, thank you for what you did. Um, you should be recognized. And I, I'm glad you came forward. I know you're not one to toot your own horn, 
I'm glad you reached out to me because this is really, really important. And again, I've been screaming this. I sound like a broken record about how, especially here in Florida, the governor is trying to rewrite history, whitewash it, because so much of it is about race. But this is, you know, this I lived through. I remember it as a kid, but I remember it. And the fact that you're telling me you're going to universities and students don't know anything about what happened 50 years ago. Uh, there's something really wrong there. And it means that we will repeat those same mistakes. You got to learn from your mistakes so you don't repeat them. And um, yeah. So Bob Zah, thank you so much. We're going to stay in touch and we'll, we'll see what we can do. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Bob Zah, everybody. And uh, again, go to um, uh, on the blog where I post today's show. I will put a link to the other film about the judge that he told us about that you can watch on Amazon Prime. And we'll see if we can't put something together uh, for a screening of the boys who said no, because uh, I think we all need to see that. And there, and then pass the information along to our children and grandchildren, because they need to know what happened. We can't forget about history. I don't know how many times I have to say it. All right. So with that, uh, we're done. As you can tell, my brain and um, <laughs> mouth are not working well together today. I, I do need a rest. And so I'm taking the excuse of having eye surgery on Monday to take next week off and get some rest, do some packing here for our impending move and all that. Um, but a quick note that it looks like Preparations are being made with law enforcement and everybody else involved for the indictment, first ever in history, the indictment of a former president. It will likely happen next week. And if it does, again, I'll be here. I will come back in and do a show. I won't be able to wear makeup, but I will come on because we're going to want to talk about it. There, If there's big breaking news... Even though I'm taking the week off, I'll be here, okay? So just, you know, keep your uh, alerts open. You'll get notified if I do a show on YouTube. Um, again, if Trump is indicted, we'll come on the air and do something. If not, I'll see you, ne- I'll see you the following week, okay? Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks again to Bob Zaw. Uh, really important uh, issue here in that, again, we got to know what happened. You got to be honest with people about our past so that we don't do the same thing in the future. All right. With that, I'm going to go. I'll see you maybe one day next week, but definitely a, a week from Monday. All right. Thanks, everybody. Here's the news. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Indictment watches on, but there's a lot more, too. The former guy must be feeling the walls closing in on him. We'll get to that, but we begin today in Atlanta, where the Journal-Constitution is reporting that Fulton County investigators have yet another recording of a Trump phone call pressuring a Georgia official to overturn President Biden's 2020 victory in the state. So there's the perfect call in which Trump asked Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find those additional 11,000 and other votes to, you know, give him the victory after the fact. 
The second one is a recording of Trump's call to a top investigator with the Georgia Secretary of State's office in December of 2020, when they were looking into allegations of irregularities with signature matching in Cobb County. In that call, Trump urged the investigator to look for fraud, telling her that she would be praised for overturning results that were in favor of Biden. Audit results in Cobb County found no fraudulent ballots or wrongdoing. And now, in this third recording that we've learned about, according to interviews with five people who served on the grand jury, Trump talked with the state House Speaker, fellow Republican David Ralston, who resisted Trump's request to call a special legislative session to reject Biden's narrow victory. One juror said the speaker, quote, basically cut the president off, telling Trump he would help in any, quote, appropriate way possible. The late David Ralston never called that special session. Meanwhile, CNN is reporting that dozens of Trump's staff at Mar-a-Lago, from servers to political aides, have all been subpoenaed to testify to a federal grand jury that's investigating Trump's handling of classified documents. But the indictment watch is going on in New York City, where the district attorney, Alvin Bragg's office, is winding down its investigation into the hush money paid to adult film star Stormy Daniels. Experts are leaning toward expecting an indictment within the next week. So this is a good time to tell you that What's News is taking a much-needed week off next week. But if history-making news breaks, like a former president being indicted, we'll come back with a special report. Moving on from the better late than never, I suppose, files, the Senate voted 68 to 27 on Thursday to advance a bill repealing the authorization for the use of military force that was enacted for the Iraq War. This bipartisan legislation has 12 Republican co-sponsors, and the White House said that President Biden supports it. The bill would repeal the 1991 and the 2002 authorizations for the use of force in Iraq, marking a formal end to those wars. The measure also signals an effort by lawmakers to reassert their authority over the use of U.S. military resources in foreign interventions. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on the Senate floor said, quote, I hope this year on the 20th anniversary of the start of the Iraq war, both chambers will finally speak in one voice. And it appears the challenge is going to be in the House. Stay tuned. Chinese leader Xi Jinping will visit Moscow next week for the first time since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The triple mark a new milestone in the country's growing partnership as Western officials continue to express concerns that China may be considering providing Russia with lethal military assistance. Although a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman says that the visit is to, quote, urge peace and promote talks. However, China's effort to present itself as a neutral peace broker on Ukraine has been met with skepticism in Western capitals due to Beijing's growing partnership with Moscow. China has both provided diplomatic support for Moscow and has refused to condemn Russia's attack on Ukraine, instead blaming NATO for provoking the conflict. Stay tuned. Meanwhile, in France, protests are escalating after the government announced it would force a higher retirement age. Get this, from 62 to 64. French President Emmanuel Macron is triggering special constitutional powers 
to enact the proposed pension reform bill. Once that information was made public, labor leaders in France called for new demonstrations. Several thousand protesters converged in Paris and several other cities around the country Thursday night. Massive protests have been held regularly throughout France since mid-January, with millions turning out to voice their opposition to the government's plan. And finally, Poland on Thursday became the first NATO country to agree to send fighter jets to Ukraine. Polish President Duda said his country would provide four Soviet-era MiG-29s under an agreement at reach with Kyiv, saying they would deliver the planes in the next few days. And then he hinted his government might send more fighter jets within weeks. Ukraine has repeatedly pleaded with its Western allies to provide fighter jets to help it fight those ever-invading Russian forces. So the Florida legislature is in session, and it seems each day they release another shameful bill. This time, a Florida Republican trying to restrict sex education for students confirmed that his bill would also ban young girls from discussing their menstrual cycles with school officials. Although that wasn't the main intent of this legislation, it's in there. And this, after a state house committee here in Florida on Thursday overwhelmingly approved a proposal to ban abortions at six weeks. Democrats opposed the plan, but acknowledged, quote, there was nothing they could do to stop it from eventually becoming law. Just last year, the governor signed a 15-week abortion ban that still faces court challenges. If passed, this new law will only take effect if courts uphold the previous law. But this new law is a proposed six-week ban that does include exceptions to save the life of the mother and in cases of rape and incest, up to 15 weeks. Wow. And in Virginia, seven police officers and three hospital workers are now facing murder charges after being accused of smothering a black man to death at a Virginia state psychiatric institution. Dinwiddie County Commonwealth's attorney, Ann Cabell Bakersville, reportedly said that the officers held down Ervo Otenio on the floor of the Central State Hospital for 12 minutes while he was shackled and handcuffed. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener supported and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com and please click on that donate button.